0: But today we're going to conclude this short series uh, on a more personal and practical note. Uh, We're going to talk about what it looks like to make peace with people who have hurt us. Um, I suspect most of us have been hurt by someone who we love, someone close to us. And um, maybe you've talked about it with that person and there's been like a kind of superficial truce uh, and you're just sort of trying to move on, but you're not really sure if peace has been made. Um, or maybe you've talked to that person, and um, you know they just sort of balked at the idea that they did anything wrong. Or maybe that person has no idea that they uh, hurt you, and so you're just coping with kind of painful wreckage of a lost relationship. You have no idea how to proceed from here. Um, or maybe you've done some of the work of peacemaking. And you've had some um, hard conversations, and you've experienced some healing, uh, a little bit of a thawing of the relationship. Um, But I think we all know how that feels, to be hurt. And it it is exponentially worse when it is somebody who you know, who you care about, who is maybe a family member or a close friend, uh, because these are people who... Um, we feel are supposed to be in our corner and love us unconditionally. They want what's best for us. So when somebody like that hurts you, I mean, it's a very deep wound. Um, As we've been kind of meditating on in this series, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. This has been a lens through which we've been looking the last few weeks. Um, And we've talked about the meaning of this, that what it means to be children of God as a peacemaker is you're resembling God in that sense. This is an attribute of God. He is a peacemaker. Jesus made peace with us in going to the cross. And if we are peacemakers, we are uh, clothing ourselves with that uh, characteristic of Christ, that we are also peacemakers. And I imagine all of us want this to be true. Like we read that and we think, well, I would like, I would like to exhibit that characteristic of God. I'd like that to be true of me. But I think the trouble is when you're blinded by pain um, or resentment, when you've been hurt, it's hard to know how to begin this process. How can we be proactive about peacemaking when we're kind of emotionally dazed or disoriented because we just feel like we're dealing with this. Uh, this pain that's come our way. Because peacemaking, we've seen in the last couple weeks, I mean, it really requires a lot of us. It requires self-awareness. It requires some introspection. It requires a sacrificial posture um, because it, it involves us doing things that we are not maybe comfortable doing and not doing things that we would love to do. Uh, so it's, as we've talked about, it's more active than we would prefer. We have to start hard conversations that make us uncomfortable, or maybe we don't think we should have to start. On the other hand, it's more passive than we would prefer. We have to not pick some battles that we would love uh, to pick, that we feel entitled to. So peacemaking is not easy, uh, but it is Christ-like, and it is possible with the help of the Holy Spirit working in us and working through us. Um, We make peace for several reasons, I think. Uh, We make peace to... Uh, honor the Lord. He called us to do this, so we're answering Jesus' call. I think we make peace also to try to put other people first, to serve people even who have hurt us. This is certainly part of what Jesus calls us to, but I think also we, we do the work of peacemaking for ourselves. I mean, God doesn't call us to peacemaking just for himself, just to serve others. It's also for us, because when we are at odds with someone or we've been hurt and there's a broken relationship, that is corrosive to us, uh, to, to allow that wound to just stay open and to fester and not to do anything to heal it. Um, and as it corrodes us by not working for healing or trying to make peace, there's this collateral damage. I mean, there's other people in our life that are kind of innocent bystanders, that end up um, kind of paying the price for these open wounds that we have. Um, And so there is a healing that Christ wants us to experience through peacemaking, a healing for ourselves. But it requires some courage, it requires some humility, and it requires us to trust in God uh, as he makes peace in us and through us. So today we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about personal peacemaking. How should it... um, How should we feel when somebody hurts us? What steps can we take to repair what's been broken? How can we know if we've actually forgiven someone, like really forgiven them? Um, How can we reconcile or restore relationships? What's the difference between reconciliation and restoration? Those are two words that sometimes we use interchangeably, but not necessarily the same thing. So these are some of the questions we're going to explore today. Um, But I do want to say we're going to keep the focus on... What to do if you've been hurt. Um, Because I think that's the hardest position to navigate, if you've been hurt. Um, If you have caused someone pain, done something wrong, and you know it, you know that you've hurt somebody, from a biblical perspective, the path is pretty clear. It's not easy, but it's pretty clear. I mean, you go to that person, you admit your wrongdoing, you ask for forgiveness. That's a pretty clear path if you've caused pain. You know, you don't rationalize it. You don't just sort of look at them and be like, well, they seem fine, so I guess I don't need to say anything. You're supposed to actually ask forgiveness. And the best time to make peace with someone you have hurt is like now. So um, if you've hurt someone, that's kind of the path. But I want to focus on if you've been hurt because I do think that's harder to navigate. You know, what are you supposed to do? How, How do you begin this process of peacemaking when you feel like something's been done to you? Um, a good chunk of what I'm going to share with you today, some of, a lot of the practical stuff, uh, was shared with me, uh, by a friend of mine named Eric Willis, um, who is a pastor, he's a counselor, um, he's an expert in conflict resolution, he, like, is an in-demand conference speaker, and he literally coaches churches and other organizations on how to go through conflict resolution, and I've learned so much from him, and when I was in a particularly painful season, uh, He helped me kind of see my way back to the surface to breathe some fresh air. And so we're going to, as we always do, we're going to look today at the scriptures, see what they have to say, but I'm also going to share some wisdom from him that was shared with me because I've seen it um, work in my life. One final caveat, we're going to just talk about kind of ordinary conflict. Um, We're not going to speak today to more extraordinary situations of abuse And violence and those kinds of scenarios. So uh, if you are experiencing that or have experienced that, um, I just want to be clear, you know, we would just want you to call the police, talk to somebody who you trust, a friend, a family member, a pastor, I hope it goes without saying we are here for you if you're walking through that, but that's not really going to be the focus of this message. so in Scripture, where do we start? When well, we're talking about personal peacemaking, you have a broken relationship. Um, if you know anything about Scripture, uh, a lot of people will say the first place to go is Matthew 18, and that is an important passage to go to. We're, we'll get to that in a moment. But there's actually another starting point that I, that uh, was brought to my attention a few years ago that I think is absolutely correct. So we're going to start there. It's Proverbs 19.11. Proverbs 19.11. And we're going to go through a few Uh, scriptures today, so you don't necessarily need to open up your Bible. Uh, We'll have it on the screens. If you want to write down the references, you can. Um, But Proverbs 19.11 says this, A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Now, the first half of that talks about kind of our ongoing spiritual life, right? We, we seek wisdom from God. We are seeking to grow, and, and that will yield patience, and that sets us up to be able to do the second half of this. If you've been hurt or offended, it is to your glory to overlook the offense, um, and, and that's an interesting phrase. It's to your glory. It doesn't sound—we don't really speak that way in our lives. Like, oh, this is going to be to my glory if I do this thing. But, but that's kind of biblical speak for it's a beautiful thing. It's a God-honoring thing um, to overlook wrongdoing. That's what this passage is saying. And the Hebrew word there for overlook is abar, uh, which means to pass over or pass through. And it's interesting. In the ancient world, they use this word um, for like armies crossing a river, like fording a river. And so it's saying it is your glory, it's a beautiful thing to cross over, pass over, pass through uh, an offense. Um, it doesn't mean you deny the river is there, if the river is like the, the offense that's happened to you. It doesn't mean you deny that it's there or that it wasn't painful. It means that you're able to see a way to move through that, that current and get to the other bank and move forward. Um, and if you can do that, the proverb is saying... That's of great benefit to you. Um, so this is a first place to start. Proverbs nineteen eleven. When you're hurt, is to just ask yourself that: Can I overlook this? Can I pass through this? Can I cross the, this river of pain of this thing that's happened to me and get to the other side and put it behind me? It do, it doesn't mean you have to be honest with yourself. When you ask this question, can I overlook it? It doesn't mean you pretend it was not offensive or it wasn't painful. It doesn't mean just sort of bury it down deep because it's too uncomfortable to talk about or deal with. That's not overlooking it. That's not crossing over. That's just sort of hiding it. So when you ask this, can I overlook it? It's mean, do you honestly think as you pray about it, do you honestly think you can come to a place of, of showing grace and extending forgiveness and just sort of move on? And that is possible. Um, And so that's really the first place to start is is can I overlook this? And if you can, Proverbs is telling us that's a good thing. You you should do that. Um, But often we can't do that. And that's okay if you can. I mean, there are some hurts that are too painful, too personal, and to just act like it didn't happen and and, and overlook it is not really healthy or practical. Um, So if you can't do that, If you can't just move across it, um, you really are hurt. This really is not going away. What do you do next? So when you were growing up um, in school, what were you taught uh, to remember if your clothes ever catch on fire? Stop, drop, and roll. Right, so stop, drop, and roll. If you can't overlook an offense, what do you do next? Stop, drop, and roll. And this is, again, from, from Eric Willis. He shared this with me. This is a very memorable and effective plan for if you're actually on fire. Uh, but it's also a very memorable and effective plan if you feel sort of emotionally on fire. Like, I, you know, how can I deal with what's happened right now in this pain? Um, and so we have to add some words to this to explain what this means. And, and this is how Eric articulates it. Um, stop the thoughts. Drop the assumptions, and roll into action. Stop the thoughts. Drop the assumptions, and roll into action. And what he what he means by roll into action? There's kind of two sort of subpoints to that. Rolling into action means it, it deals with um, what you're thinking and also what you do. So you're taking you're you're rolling into action in terms of how you're thinking about this, and then what you're doing about it. And, and so I'm going to unfold a little bit about, about this, about what he means by these things. So stop the thoughts. So, so you've been hurt. You, you've determined, I can't overlook this. So I'm going to stop, drop, and roll here. I'm going to stop the thoughts. And what this means is, you know, your mind is going a million miles an hour. It's going in a million places. You're angry. You're confused. You're in pain. You begin thinking untrue and unhelpful things about you about that person, about God sometimes, and you just need to stop this, this rapid flow of thoughts. You just sort of have to consciously interrupt yourself and say, I'm just going to stop dwelling on this, and you pray and you ask God to calm you down, to quiet your thoughts. You just say, God, help me. I just need help here. So you just, you're trying to just kind of shut down that inner monologue that just starts. So stop the thoughts. That's the first place. And then he says, drop the assumptions." And his point here is we don't have the whole story. We rarely have the whole story when somebody has done or said something hurtful to us. We don't know their inner motives. We don't know what's going on in their life. It could be a misunderstanding. So, so without realizing it, what we end up doing is we make these assumptions. We supply what's missing. And um, we make assumptions about that person, and we start filling in gaps to create this cohesive narrative of hurt in our mind that just makes sense and we we feel like we have total knowledge of of what they're thinking why they did this and everything that we're feeling and a lot of that may not be true but we've just filled in the gaps we've made all these assumptions because there's this need to complete the story and have it all make sense but this doesn't help us and so we have to stop the thoughts and we have to drop these assumptions And stop constructing a grand theory inside of our head as to why all this has happened. Because we just simply can't do it. Um, So you stop the thoughts, you drop the assumptions, and then he says you roll into action. Um, And his point with this, and it's a very biblical view, we've seen it over the last couple of weeks, we'll see it more here in a moment, is that peacemaking is a proactive endeavor. It's not passive. It's not reactive. It is proactive. Jesus didn't say, blessed are the peace getters. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. It is something that you have to be actively engaged in. So we're called to be peacemakers. And so rolling into action is Eric's way of saying, start making peace. And the way we do that is you you conform your thoughts and your actions to Scripture, to what God has called us to to say and do, and so instead of living in the world of assumptions, you start to lead your own thinking back to conforming it with, with scripture, reminding ourselves what is true, reading and reflecting on passages in scripture that deal with forgiveness and hurt and pain and things like that. For example, Matthew six twelve would be a good one if you're just in that place and you're just trying to get hold of your thinking about it. You can remember this is part of the Lord's prayer. This is Jesus saying. These are some of the things you should pray. This is kind of how you should pray. One of the lines in that prayer is he says, forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. This is a prayer where you're remembering your vertical relationship with God during broken horizontal relationships with others. It's saying, God help me forgive these others as you have forgiven me. Because Jesus is always our example in peacemaking. So this is a great text to, again, roll into action, conform your thinking to how Jesus wants you to think in these situations. Another uh, verse that's great to go to is 1 Corinthians 13, 5. This is in the famous passage about love. Love is patient. Love is kind. In verse 5, um, it says, it's, that's love. Love does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. So, as you're seeking to shape your thinking about making peace with someone who's hurt you, this kind of passage can remind you that God calls us to love others, and Jesus even said, love your enemies. And so the goal in peacemaking, even when you've been hurt, isn't to dishonor that person or stoke your anger to make it worse or sort of catalog the insults. These are passages that are a heart check, that are kind of a diagnostic of your own motives as you're seeking to make peace. Another heart-shaping passage is Ephesians 4.32. This is the Apostle Paul. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So again, it's like we forgive because God forgave us in Christ. Because when we are hurt, we don't want to forgive. We're not thinking in terms of forgiveness. Um, And sometimes the pain is so deep, we can't get to a place of thinking about forgiveness for a long time and that's normal, and that's okay, but these are passages that sort of give us the vision of where God wants to lead us over some time frame. Um, So stop the thoughts, drop the assumptions, roll into action, and these passages are part of that, of just conforming our heart and mind to how God has called us to think and act. Uh, But the second part of rolling into action is what we actually do. What do we actually do when someone has hurt us. If our heart's in the right place, we've come to a place of, of um, being ready to kind of actually do something about it. Jesus tells us what to do in Matthew 18, starting in verse 15. Uh, this is Jesus speaking. Um, he says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. And I'll explain what that means, um, that last verse in a second. But I think the first thing to notice about this passage that's really important is that Jesus calls us to be very proactive about peacemaking when somebody has sinned um, against you. And to be very personal, he says, if someone has sinned against you, you go to them and point out their fault, just the two of you. Um, and and you know we we don't have to take that hyper literally, like literally it has to just be two. But it means directly, you go directly to them as as sort of privately as possible, given the circumstances, and you just say. What they have done. You know, we live in a world where people just sort of broadcast their grievances about people instead of talking to a person who has hurt them, instead of talking to each other. And Jesus is saying, no, no, if somebody has hurt you, you go talk to them. And and you just go to them and you have that conversation. You have hurt me. You did this and this was wrong. I want to try to repair what's broken here. And that's a very hard thing to do is to speak to somebody or even maybe look them in the eye when they've hurt you and say, you did this. But that's what Jesus is calling us to do. Now, that may not be possible in all cases. Again, we're not talking about sort of abusive situations where you really should not be in the room with someone who's done this terrible thing. But just in terms of ordinary conflict, someone said something hurtful or mistreated you in some way, Jesus is saying, go speak to that person. And tell them, get it out on the table. Um, And if they won't listen to just you, Jesus says, try again and bring some other people with you uh, to witness this. Now, what he's not saying is bring people on your side who are going to like back you up. Like I'm coming back and now I've got my crew that's going to like say, yeah, they're, you know, and just kind of back you up. What Jesus is saying actually there is bring some people who can come into the situation with some objectivity and, and work for reconciliation, who can, who can be an advocate for reconciliation. So this means if you try to reconcile with somebody one by, one-on-one um, and that doesn't work, reach out to a mutual friend or bring in a counselor or a pastor or, or just somebody else who can be involved in the situation and help work to repair what's been broken. Um, now, then Jesus says in the last verse here, um, if they still refuse, tell it to the church, and, and that strikes us as a little strange, like, okay, does does all personal conflict at some point get brought up to, like, the church level? I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. He's talking about in the church community, if uh, there's a broken relationship that's gotten so bad that the church is beginning to experience division, you know, the, the sort of church leadership gets involved and Um, and if, if this person is just obstinate, they will not listen, um, then at some point you just sort of stop engaging with the person on that topic, um, until they come to a place of repentance. But if we just focus on those first couple of verses, essentially what Jesus is talking about is when you experience this relational brokenness, you start the conversation. You are proactive about this. You go to the person. You don't talk about them. You talk with them. And if that's not working, to just speak directly to them, bring somebody else in. It can be, a, again, a family member, a friend, a counselor, a pastor, to try to help work for peace. So this is what it means to kind of roll into action, right? So you stop the thoughts, you drop the assumptions, and you roll into action. You begin to conform your mind to what Scripture says, and you talk to that person. You begin to work for peace. So let's say you've done this. Let's say you have you've gone through this process. You've chosen to overlook the offense, or if you're not able to do that, you've kind of done the stop, drop, and roll thing. You've you've had some conversations, you feel like you made progress, you said that you forgive them. How can you know if you've really forgiven them? Cuz I don't know if you're like me. I've had situations like that where something happens and and I'll say that I forgive someone, but then I still am upset about it. There you know, there's a period that it doesn't feel like it just, you know, is all over the moment they said sorry and I said I forgive you there's this emotional up and down that happens, and um, that's just hard. It's hard to know what to expect from that, and and is it okay to feel the things that you're feeling? Um, So I I think one thing to remember is you want to view yourself as this, moving toward forgiveness. So forgiveness isn't like this switch that flips. Um, There are times where it works that way, where, you know, somebody says they're sorry and and you forgive them and you really just experience freedom and peace and that's great but often it doesn't work that way you're moving toward it and so you can say i forgive you to somebody and not feel great right after it but you can trust that the lord is is going to move you toward that he's going to be healing your heart that may take some time and so i think just even expectations on this point um is really important to know that it's a path it's not a, a light light switch um and to move toward forgiveness, I just want to say, that doesn't mean you think what they did was okay, you know, when you've forgiven someone, it, it, it's, when you're moving toward forgiveness, it's, it's saying, I want to find a way to be okay with that person. I'm, I'm never going to be okay with what they did, but I feel like I want to get to that place where I'm okay with them, and I believe the Lord is healing my heart and moving me toward the full expression of forgiveness. Um, But if your heart desires forgiveness, if you're open to it, the Spirit will move you that direction, and the volume of your resentment will will decrease. um, And that's okay, and that's normal. That takes time. And it's okay to feel cautious in the process, right? If somebody's hurt you deeply, even if they come and admit it and say they're sorry, and you forgive them and you mean that, it's okay for that feeling of having forgiven them to take time to fully arrive there. And it's okay even to feel a little bit cautious about that person in that relationship as you're moving that direction. Um, So I thought that was important to say, but I want to share these four things that were shared with me. How do you know if you have arrived at fully forgiven someone? Um, This was something that Eric shared with me, four promises that you can make to a person if you have forgiven them. Four promises you can make when you've forgiven someone. So four things... um, that, that you could say are these. First, I will not dwell on this incident. So you're committing to that. I'm not going to just roll this over in my mind over and over. I'm not going to kind of um, stoke my anger and resentment about it. I'm not going to dwell on it. So that's the first promise you can make. I will not dwell on this. The second promise is I will not bring this up or use it against you. I will not bring this up or use it against you. Thirdly, I will not talk to others about this incident. And there, you know, he, he's not talking about, like, if you're in, in counseling or something and you're processing something long-term, that's different. He's not saying, that doesn't apply for number three. He's just saying, other people in your life, you're not going to talk about it. I will not talk to others about this incident. I will not dwell on this incident. I will not bring this up or use it against you. And I will not talk to others about this incident. And then fourth, I will not allow this to stand between us or I will not allow this to hinder us. Um, Again, it's not saying the relationship is just perfect, but it's saying if if we are going to try to repair something, I'm not going to let this thing just in and of itself stand in the way of this reconciliation happening that God may be bringing about. If you can articulate these four things and say this to a person who's hurt you, then you have come to a place of forgiveness. It doesn't mean you've forgotten it, or anything like that, but, but, but if you can affirm these, you've really healed a lot. God has done a lot of work in your heart. If you can't affirm all four, there's still work to be done. Uh, it, you know, praying and asking the Lord to heal you, you may need to have more conversations with this person um, if you can't affirm all of those. So another angle of all of this that I think is important to talk about, um, this is kind of the last piece of the practical side of this, is you know what does your relationship look after all of look like after all of this like after you've forgiven someone like can you just forgive and forget like act like it didn't happen do you just go back to f- being friends as you were before like what's the aftermath um, and I think to talk about that you have to talk about the subject of um, reconciliation versus restoration reconciliation versus restoration they're both outcomes, possible outcomes of peacemaking when you've been hurt by somebody, and they're different. Um, this is something I had to learn. I, I, I was using those two as synonyms for a long time, and then I learned that they're really not the same thing. Um, so reconciliation uh, is defined uh, biblically as a spiritual willingness to let God work. It's, it's um, you're open to God doing his healing work. You, you've experienced a broken relationship. You are open to it being repaired. You hope that it's repaired. You would welcome efforts from the other party to uh, come back together. It doesn't necessarily mean you're friends like you were before, but you would be open to that if that happened. It's sort of an open-handed attitude to the whole thing. It's It's a generosity of spirit. And so I think the important thing to notice here is you can be reconciled to someone after a hurt, Um, And not have the relationship you used to have. And I think I, for a long time, thought that reconciliation was only real if you basically were exactly friends or close like you were before. But I I learned that, no, that's not really true. You can, in a biblical sense, forgive and be reconciled to someone uh, in the sense that the hurts have been dealt with and forgiveness has happened and healing has happened. But things are not the way they used to be. Um, And in some cases, depending on the nature of the hurt, uh, it may actually be better or okay for the relationship to not be exactly what it was before. But you can be reconciled even if the relationship's been fundamentally changed by what happened. Restoration, on the other hand, is the relationship is like it was before. I mean, it's, it's just a true restoration. It's sort of the full flowering of forgiveness and reconciliation. Um, that does happen. It is possible, but it's usually a very long process. Um, and, and this is something I really had to learn um, over the last several years because this is very hard for me. Even if you do everything to make it possible to restore a relationship after a hurt, um, it might not happen. The other person may not be willing or able to do this. They may not be open to it. And you can't bear the full burden of bringing about full restoration. Number one, only God can do that. And it also takes the other person being invested in that happening. And so we have to trust God's work, the Spirit's work, in repairing broken relationships. And sometimes that repair means a reconciliation where healing and forgiveness has occurred, but the, the relationship is not what it used to be. And sometimes it does result in a full restoration of the relationship. We just have to trust God's work in that. Um, so just to kind of review, that Proverbs passage, again, is, the, is, is a great place to start. Can I overlook this offense? Is it possible to overlook it? Sometimes it is, but that's where you start. If it's not possible, stop the thoughts drop the assumptions, roll into action, and you roll into action by conforming your thoughts and your actions to Scripture. And then you pray, and you ask God to heal you, to move you toward forgiveness, reconciliation, and Lord willing, restoration. So there's a lot more to say about this. Um, I actually wanted to share Eric's book with you that he just published last year. It's called Sacred Conflict resolution skills for the follower of Christ Um, and I highly recommend the book he talks about some of the things I've talked about today a lot more Um, it's only about a hundred pages so it's a really quick read and um, he's just Eric is just an incredibly wise Christ-like person and um, and so I mean that book is just full of wisdom so if you want to learn more about this uh, I would highly recommend you pick that up they've got it on Kindle and paperback you can get it on Amazon Sacred Conflict by Eric Willis. So just to kind of wrap up, not just today, but the last few weeks, we talked about peacemaking. Um, Being a peacemaker is a call, and Jesus called us to this, and it's a tough one. It goes against so many of our natural inclinations. It often does not feel good, even if it's working, but it's something that God has put in front of us, not only to help us experience peace healing and peace in this lifetime, but I believe he's put the call of peacemaking in front of us to point to something else, to give ourselves and the world around us a glimpse of what is coming. Um, there's this proverb, Proverbs 15:4, 4, uh, that I kind of ran across a couple weeks ago. The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life, and I love this language of healing in the tree of life and it's right there in this one proverb the the tongue that brings healing is a tree of life so a healing voice a peacemaking voice is a tree of life and that tree of life reference um, points simultaneously backwards and forwards because the tree of life was there in the garden of eden this is when god created the world with no sin no hurt no pain no need for peacemaking and so to be a peacemaker today, to be a, a healing voice, as it's saying here in the proverb, is to give just a glimpse of kind of how it once was, that brokenness isn't meant to be there. It's a glimpse of how it once was, but it also gives us a taste of what is coming. When you get to the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, we, we get a, a, a glimpse of uh, the new heaven and earth, what's coming one day, and, and we read in Revelation 22, starting in the, the first verse, Then the angel showed me, this is John, the Apostle John was being shown this, The river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree... Are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. So at the end, we see the tree of life again, the city of God, where we will live forever with him, apart from sin, apart from pain, eternally discovering unimaginable joys. And so, if you're a peacemaker today, as the proverb says, if you're a healing voice today, you're like a little miniature tree of life planted in your neighborhood, in your community, your office, your family, your circle of friends. You are a healer, and you are being healed. You're pointing back to a time when sin did not exist, and you're pointing forward to a time when sin will no longer exist, when we will not have to be peacemakers anymore we will instead experience peace in the presence of Jesus, the peacemaker. A healing voice is like a tree of life.